Welcome to the Advent Sermons and Conversations podcast. This is the Conversations half. We will be talking about what to do after the call. I'm Deanne. I'm Kevin. And I'm Dan. So this week was all about the prodigal son, the famous, one of the famous parables that Jesus was telling. So Pastor Danielle started off by connecting the prodigal son um, to many other verses and parables that Jesus and the other people of his time would have heard from the Torah, as well as other parables God tells. The main message, if there is an applicable moral of it, um, is ultimately God's forgiveness and God being the father that welcomes the son no matter what. Pastor Danielle goes into Jesus' love um, is not just in this story, but it is actually real and tangible. And while we may be lost, we will always be found and we are continually being found by God. So we were chatting a bit before we started recording. And the first thing that stuck out to us was just the, the personal connection to this story as a story about family. Um, and I thought, Dan, you had a really interesting experience to share about that. Yeah, well, any time that there's a, there's a parable or any time the sermon is about family, I, I always get a little choked up because I'm, I'm part of a, a big family. I'm, I'm the oldest of four siblings. And so I have, uh, I have two younger brothers and I have a younger sister. And uh, basically any time God's love is sort of compared to the love of the family or, or contrasted with it that, and it, it just sort of resonates with me and, and it calls up all of these feelings that I have from, from when I was growing up with, with my, with my siblings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in, in this, in this story in particular, it's, I, I recognize some of the envy and the hurt in the, in the elder son. And I'm ashamed mm-hmm. to say that, you know, that I, I did have times when I was growing up, uh, when I may have felt, you know, uh, that way towards my siblings. And, uh, I, 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 I hope I can say that I, I have only love and pride for, for my siblings now. And, and I hope they know that even though we can't hope to attain. So maybe, maybe we can't hope to, maybe we can hope to, but maybe it's not realistic for us to be able to completely and utterly love another person as God loves us. But, um, I think it's a good thing to strive for, and I, I, I want to, I want to hope that I, I have striven mm-hmm. towards that in my relationships with my siblings. Yeah, I have a, I have a younger sister, three years younger, and and we didn't fight a whole lot, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, actually, and actually, you talking about it is bringing back these memories. Um, but I do remember, particularly uh, when I was younger, probably you know, nine or 10 or my early teens in particular, you know, I did definitely like my sense of fairness and what was fair, what I felt was fair was probably more pronounced in no other area of life at the time than it was between me and my sister and how my parents would judge situations or disagreements between us. Right. And, and so you know, I, th- I think of things like I remember we would play basketball sometimes uh, as a family and my sister was younger. And so sometimes my dad would would cut her a little slack with the rules and I'd be like, well, that's not fair. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my dad would try to explain to me that it wasn't 
I, I mean, I think he tried to explain that it wasn't showing favoritism, which is maybe what it felt like to me, but that, you know, I was taller and I like, <laughs> and I had certain advantages at that being at that age that she didn't have. And he was doing it to try and balance, create balance, not favoritism. So, yeah. And it's interesting that our, our perspective, if like fairness is always tinged with our perspective, right? And what we see and how we feel, right? Oh yeah. There, there is no, there is no like, well, at least, at least we can't perceive like an, like an objective, completely objective fairness because we're always like our sense of, of what is just and fair is always colored by our own, our own perceptions. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you didn't realize that your great. sister was like, you know. Uh, yeah. I didn't see it from her <laughs> yeah. perspective that right. she was struggling. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting um, because I'm the youngest of four. So I have three older sisters. Um, So I feel like I was always on the other end where I was 100% fall into the spoiled youngest child category. (laughs) 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 Where I definitely got away with things my older sisters didn't get away with. So what was your perception of fairness when you were growing up? Did you... Did you feel like times were unfair, like you were treated unfairly or or that you were treated maybe more fairly than your sisters? I feel like it was, um, even though I was younger, I got to do some of the things at the same time as my older sisters. So I got to do it when I was younger than when they got to do it, but it was happening when we were um, like in the same year, hmm. but I might've been a couple of years younger than them. Sounds like it was probably pretty cool. Yeah, no, <laughs> it was great for me. Yeah. Um, but hmm. yeah, it's kind of that where, but I can also understand the elder brother's side of like, he's like, but what did, but you didn't do any of this for me, which I feel like it's again, going back to the bias of like, mm, really? <laughs> or is that you just like selectively forgetting and like, oh yeah, we threw my birthday party like six months ago or whatever. But in that, in that moment, it feels so unjust. There's, there's also this sense that, uh, the elder sibling sort of, I I don't know if if you feel this way. Yeah. yeah, I was the older one. Uh, there's sort of this sense that like the elder, the eldest sibling, the eldest child always sort of gets, uh, two things. One is like the most care and attention of the parents because they don't, they don't want to mess up the, you know, like mm-hmm. they've never done this before and they're hyper attentive to everything. But also it's, it's sort of like, um, the eldest has the highest ex- expectations, you know, cause mm-hmm. they're, they're the first one who come kind of breaks out into the, into the parents world. And, um, so I, I, I wonder if our ideas of fairness and like the different experiences of the elder versus the, the younger sibling is, uh, I, I don't know. Do you, do you sense that that's, that was the case with you? Yeah. Well? Yeah, I definitely do. And I wonder if you, if you took a poll of like, which sibling, uh, I know I'm sure lots of studies have been done on sibling order and, but like, I'm sure I wouldn't be, I w- just wonder if the oldest one would like report having the most sense of, uh, or most, uh, perception of fairness or things being unfair sometimes. Right. Yeah, I would wonder if that's the case. Maybe. Maybe. I also think it's really interesting that we got into this today because before the last worship service, I was in our adult faith formation class. I was actually helping to lead it. And we did this activity where um, 
essentially you were given a profile of a person, a person that was not you. Um, and we had people that were differently abled, uh, people that were different genders, different sexual orientations, um, came from different countries. And you were asked to try, uh, you know, read this through a few times and try as best as you could to empathize and enter their experience and to imagine how you might feel walking into our worship space here at Advent through their eyes. And I don't know, we were just talking about how like our sense of fairness is colored by our own experience. And I, yeah, so it just, I couldn't help but think about just a moments ago talking about how like coming to church and seeing our pretty steps leading up into the sanctuary is fine for me. And I just like stroll right up and don't even think twice about it, but to another person uh, who um, has different abilities pertaining to mobility, that could be something that's really a challenge. So like, while it might not be a priority to me to like get rid of the stairs or have an elevator or better signage, it's doing more for people who need, have different accessibility needs is like a way of making it equal. Like it makes me think of me and my sister, like, and the, the height difference, the age difference, and, and one person maybe needing a little bit more attention or just having different needs in order to actually make it fair and just. So I don't know. Yeah. It's just, that's where my brain went. Yeah. According to need and not, not necessarily like deserve, deserve, uh, like what you deserve. What each, yeah. Or like what each person thinks they deserve or yeah. Thinks they're worth or I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting, which is a good segue into the next question about this story, the prodigal son. Do you feel like this, shows a just God at work. The old, the older son doesn't seem to He's like <laughs> I've been around following directions this whole time. Mm-hmm. Your younger son leaves, comes back and you throw him a big party and he, and he feels like it's unfair, you know? So when we talk about God in terms of creating justice in the world, what, do, what does this say about that God? Yeah. And I think it, I mean, this was, this was something that really struck me was that, you know, we talk about uh, God as being a very just God and wanting to bring justice into the world. And uh, I, I think that we all have this idea of, I think he, we as humans have uh, this idea of, of justice and what it means. And a lot of times I, I, I wonder if it means what, what God wants it to mean. You know, we think of justice as law and, and you know, responsibility and the reward of following the law or disobeying the law, you know, mm-hmm. and that when we're given tasks by God through the, the 10 commandments or, or missives through, you know, by Jesus, like we're expected to follow that. We're expected to do those things. And those things are hard. It's yeah. hard to follow, uh, Jesus's teachings. Mm-hmm. So it feels like when we're doing those things, it can feel like when we're doing those things that we're, we're giving something up, that we're sacrificing something of ourselves. And we feel like we, feel like we deserve something for that. We feel like we, we, we deserve to be you know, applauded for being so righteous and for being so upstanding. Um, and then when somebody doesn't do that and yet they still receive the love of God, something, something about that feels wrong. You know, feels like we've given something up. This other person hasn't. And yet we've given, we've been given the same things. And I, I think 
our ideas, our human ideas of justice are, you know, they're, they're sort of wronged by that, that idea. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. <laughs> that was, that was really well put. I agree. I think it's very easy for a lot of people to think that way. Maybe it's just in our nature. Mm. But then that, you know, then to sort of go beyond that, I started thinking more about it. And I started thinking during the sermon, I was like, well, wait a second. Like, what, what does justice truly mean? You know, mm-hmm. is it really, is it really born out of envy? Is it really born out of, you know, uh, jealousy and, and what, you know, to each what that person deserves, you know, maybe, maybe justice is something more encompassing. Maybe God's justice is deeper than that. Maybe it, it has to go beyond each of our own individual individual perceptions of fairness, and it has to go to something deeper about about who we are as God's children and how none mm. of us can truly deserve the love that God provides to us. And it's never about that, you know. Amen. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like how does how does mercy play into justice? And what does that look like? Kind of both on a like cosmic level um in god's justice and god's mercy but then also what does it mean for us to live that out or for us to seek justice yeah wow (laughs) um i'll answer that question eventually oh i had pulled this quote that i feel like ties in it's that um that god's love is a love regardless of worth but a love that is simply because it is god's nature to love i feel like it, it connects somehow how are how are mercy and love connected? Because I also think justice and love are connected as well. I feel like mercy and love and justice are all connected. And if you kind of if you start from a place of love for someone, you want them to be better, uh, and you want to hold them accountable for what they did. But you also uh, know and understand because they're human, they're going to make mistakes. And so you want to be merciful and to, to help them improve and to help them be better. So I think that comes back to your questions, Deanne, is what does, what does living out God's version of justice look like for us? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a radical idea in our in our very like law and order society you know it's a very radical idea to say to throw away the past and to think to think only of how you feel towards the other person and to and to try to to feel just that love you know mm-hmm. uh, no matter what the circumstances and trying to tap into that 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 brotherly love that that you know filial love where uh you just you feel so connected to the next, the, the person next to you that you can, you can't help but be merciful. Uh, you can't help but forgive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard though. That it's sounds hard. great. I would love to channel. <laughs> I know. All the time. <laughs> but I think God calls us to step out of our own blinders of what is fair from our perspective, and to. Yeah, reframe it in the sense that every person is a child of God and is and is worthy of love and is loved by God, mm-hmm. and that we're called to be to ex, to express and share that same love. Ultimately, 
Yeah, I think that that definitely requires like a, either like a letting go or just a reframing of what what I feel like I deserve for it or what I feel like is fair based on kind of this very human nature-based intuition or sense. And tying it back to the, what what Pastor Miller was saying, you know, about the how this is a this is a this is not a, a you know, a simple story that you're supposed to take a lesson from. It's it's a way of thinking. It's it's a it's a paradigmatic shift of like how you how you think about the world and how you think about other people you know it's not it's not like you know it's not some fairy tale that you you listen and you know oh it's like Hansel and Gretel you're not supposed to follow the candy because you're gonna get eaten by a witch you know it's like all right yeah I, (laughs) I think I understand what the message is there and like maybe I shouldn't follow you know you know just you know, follow after my sweet tooth or whatever, but yeah, but this, but these parables that Jesus speaks of, they go deeper. They talk to actual events and actual interactions between people like Pete, you know, uh, one of the things that Kevin, you were talking about that really struck out to you in, in her sermon was how these were real, uh, these were real examples from Jesus's life where he had taken the, the sick, the, the infirm, the, the near death, the, the insane, and, and basically taken them back into the fold, welcomed them back as prodigal children returned. And it, for him, it wasn't, it, it's not some story. It's not some made up fairy tale that you're supposed to get some moral teaching from. No, it's, it's a, it, it's a way of approaching life, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine Jesus speaking to this audience that, that maybe includes both some of these people that he's walked with. And I think also people who Jesus is pushing to be more like the father, mm-hmm. to be welcoming people in that have been excluded or been judged. And yeah, so I think there's a lot of emotion and power in this, that it's not just such like a one-dimensional that was nice kind of story. <laughs> yeah. I think it has the same implications today. I was hearing about kind of the idea of mythology and how mythology plays into various culture. And one is kind of the cultural idea of what is truth. And now in our very modern, very technical society, we think of truth as very literal like exactly what happened. But other cultures, and I think probably like Jesus's culture, thought of truth in a more expansive way. And it's saying a truth about the world, but it doesn't necessarily have to be literally true or literally happened. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not like coming down to like a fact check, date, time, place, like a, yeah. Yeah. Like a tangible event or object. Yeah. Yeah that it can be held or, yeah, verified and yet can have truth. Yeah, I see that. Can you talk, do you have like, a, do you have an example in mind, like of, of like where you see the truth uh, that goes beyond just the facts that you can think of? Um, I think in the, in the parable you see it of kind of the truth of, the truth of love's redeeming power, of no matter how you kind of come back, um, like this kind of expansive love is still there to welcome you Hmm. and to embrace you back. The truth of love's redeeming power. Wow. That's a power. Yeah. That's a powerful phrase. Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, that is a powerful phrase. Yeah, it is definitely more powerful than like such and such happened at such and such date and time. Yeah. Yeah. I feel there is truth in that. Maybe that requires some faith as well, but well, while we're on the topic of truth though, I wondered uh, if we could talk about like another thing that jumped out to me about the parable itself and, and something that uh, I was wondering, wondering what your take on it was, but do you feel like, do you feel like the prodigal son when he returns? Is he, is he truly repentant? Do you, do we really feel like, you know, we're talking about the truth of the matter. Does it feel like he is being truthful with uh, himself and with his, with his family when he returns? And, and you know, what, what does that, what effect does that have on the story? Yeah. I mean, when, when I read it, kind of word for word and follow, it seems like there's a, a line of reasoning in the scripture where it, it is kind of almost logical. It's like, wait, why, why am I starving when even the servants that work for my dad have more food than me? And I think he has a sense of, I don't deserve to be called his son anymore. Like I, mm. which that I think is interesting that he, that he has this feeling of like, I, I recognize I've done something wrong and I don't deserve to be ca called his son. The fact, so that's interesting. I'll just hold on to that nugget for a second. But I do think he's rationally like, well, I can go back and get food. To me, that part seems kind of like a, a very human, like I'm just figuring out how I can have my needs met. Mm. And, oh, I figured out another solution that's better than the one I'm currently in. That being said, I think there's something interesting in his, he, in his judgment of himself of, of saying like, I'm not worthy to be his son anymore. I messed that up and that's off the table, but then he comes back and is welcomed like a son. And I wonder if that's more like the moment of, that's more the moment of repentance and redemption. Hmm. Yeah. Cause uh, pastor Danielle said the, I have sinned against heaven and before you um, is the same phrase that Pharaoh used when he was uh, talking to Israel. Um, but that was just to stop the plague, to stop the problem, but didn't actually have a change of heart. So you feel like it, it sort of connects it back to that sort of false humility, that false. Mm -hmm. So, so there's some, there's some lack of clarity here where, you know, it seems that the son is, is feeling truly remorseful for, and feeling less deserving. Um, but there's also this sort of literary connection back to, uh, you know, there's sort of like a, a hint there that maybe, maybe, maybe he's not really, uh, truly, you know, repentant. Like, and is he just saying what he has to say? Exactly. Right. To get food. You know, is he, is he just out for his own self-interest? He's tired of, you know, wallowing in with the pigs and, <laughs> and, you know, wishing that he even had as much to eat as the pigs do. But even in that, no matter the son's intentions, the father still welcomes him. Right. Mm. Yeah. I, and I think we experience that at church in New York City sometimes, like with like people asking for help in the city. Like take one example we probably experience every day is during your commute on the subway or walking around, someone is asking for money or for food or for help. And you don't have to know what their story is or even what, the, if you give them money, what they're going to use it for. 
and you hear these stories like of well they're outliers i would say of of people kind of looking homeless and hustling and actually saving up a lot of money or and you know that some people who are homeless also struggle with addiction and might be using the money to buy whatever it is that they're addicted to and so i think it can be easy to doubt the intentions behind asking or whatever the story that they're telling you and and all of that and i wonder all the time you know is is jesus telling us to love that person anyway and and help anyway even if even if we don't know that their the intentions are sincere yeah it's it's so radical it, it's it's yeah, so, it's it so outside of like what western society is as sort of well, any human society really is sort of built up into us mm-hmm. yeah i mean i've 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 given money to people sometimes and my friends will be like oh you're you're falling for it like they're taking advantage of you it's like they they feel like it's like stupid to give in to the story to give up what you have when you when you can't verify the facts of that person's story um you can't you can't sense whether it's it's like fair if it's just that you're giving up Again, that you're giving yeah, up something. Yeah, giving up something that I have for some for a story, a person that I don't even know if what they're saying is true. And I mean, I, I still struggle with this, and I don't, you know, sometimes in one commute, eight people will ask me for money in, in the span of one commute. And like it gets, I think it, maybe you guys would agree, it, get, it can get exhausting and kind of demoralizing and then feel like, you know, like, oh man, well, if I gave a dollar to all eight people that asked for each commute and then like, and that's only a dollar and it's like $8 to me, both that's like $16 a day. And you know, like, and, and, um, so I'm, I'm definitely not, don't want to say not, not perfect with it, but I, I, I don't always have a giving heart and I have that, but in my best moments, I think I give not even necessarily be, because I know what they're saying is true, but I just give because I'm called to give. And like, that's just what I'm, I'm called to trust in my fellow humanity and to love them. It, like if they're, if they're doing this, like there's some reason in their story for them asking and there's some humility in that regardless of what it's being used for. And I just, you know, they're struggling. I know they're struggling somehow because they're there and they're asking. Yeah. And so, um, and then I, I just think I know that I think love is giving even when you, you just don't know if it will work or not. It's, it's kind of like this whole God not giving based on worth, but because it's God's nature to love. I'm like, I just want it to be my nature to love. It's not based on the worth or my, my idea of what that person's worth or, truthfulness is yeah so i don't know if that answered the question about the prodigal son's intentions but no i think yeah i think it was that was really well put and it's it's so again it's just so difficult to break out of those those ideas those those things that hold you back and yeah close you off from the rest of humanity mm. it's a it's really interesting you put it that way that some of the, I don't know, the automatic ways we think close you off from the rest of humanity. 
think I think that a lot of our uh, habits, our ways of life, do, and God is trying to open open that up for everyone to each other. What some What are some other famous versions of this story? Uh, one of the other famous versions that comes to mind for me that Abby mentioned a couple months ago in one of her sermons uh, was by Joel Workin, uh, who was talking about the prodigal church and talking about how the queer community was the father uh, waiting for the prodigal church to return. It's a powerful image and different way of thinking about that. It sort of flips it on its head, right? You know, the prodigal sons, the traditional parable is about the lost, the, you know, the sinner returning to the church or returning to God. Um, And this sort of flips that, that that sort of flips it on its head. Yeah. And it's interesting then it's our conflation of God and the church. Mm. That we assume that, yeah, they're one. Yes. Hmm. That, and which is an assumption. <laughs> yeah. It's our, it's our own perception. Yeah. And it's not, not true. It's, you know, the church is the body of Christ and we are the body of Christ. The church is us, you know, like God is, is not in any one place. He's not in any one church. He doesn't, doesn't turn people away, uh, like the church can do sometimes. Um, yeah. And, and so many places in the Bible that the people that God works through are un- would be unexpected to the cultures that they live in. Like even the, you know, the human place and status that Jesus was born into, like to a, a carpenter's son born in a barn. And like he, he wasn't born into some like high priest's family that already had a place of religious prestige prestige and leadership um and that sense and tons of prophets were also called from the outside to speak to different communities so i i think yeah i think all the time god is working through other people and speaking to the church about how the church needs to change yeah and i i believe that's happening i believe that's true with people like Joel Workin and still today, I think the pastors and rostered leaders who are LGBTQ continuing to guide the whole church in what a faith that is truly includes everyone looks like. Um, and I think I, I hear that in people to, in New York today where people say something to me, it's not at church and I'm like, Whoa, you know, this, floored me and challenges me to think about church differently what does it mean for you guys to know that we have a god that always welcomes you back the end of pastor danielle's sermon she was saying we are always the child being welcomed home we are always being forgiven by god right yeah it's not one event it's it's Every time. It's continuous. Mm-hmm. We're always being welcomed back. So what does that mean for you guys? It's like, I mean, it's comforting. It's, you know, it, it's something, it, it's, it's a, a reassurance that you have that no matter how bad things might get, no matter how 
lost you may feel, there is some place to come home to. There's some place, some person, some entity mm. um, who loves you and, and wants you to come home. And that's, I think everybody needs that. I think, I, I don't think that you can, I, I don't think that you can exist without that certainty that you have a place, that you have somewhere that you fit, you know? Sometimes maybe that even like a hermit living in a, you know a shack in the mountains or something, you know, he has he has like a home uh, mm-hmm. to come back mm-hmm. to. Even if there's nobody there for him, he feels a sense of comfort and, and place, purpose. Mm. But it's also a it's also a calling, right? It's also a it's a call to action. You can't just sit where you are. You have to find that that home. You have to seek that. Mm. You have to you have to seek to return. You know. Yeah. Um, you're, you're constantly returning, but you know, maybe, maybe you take, maybe you get lost on the way home. Maybe you, maybe you forget for a while. Maybe you get distracted by something, but there's always this arc of a journey where you're, where you're heading home, you know? Yeah. You're going to end up there. You have a certainty that you're going to end up there hmm. no matter how long it takes you, no matter how far afield you might you know, get lost. And mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I've been, I'm also thinking about like what does home mean and where do you feel at home? It's kind of a little bit off um, or tangential, but just kind of thinking about just the various places that I feel um, connected or rooted to that I would call home. And knowing that feeling of comfort and that feeling of welcome and thinking about that just tenfold or a millionfold is that is God's love and that is heaven and that is what God wants for the world. Yeah. I'm mixing metaphors here. <laughs> but, you know, early, earlier this week I'm doing one of the discipleship groups and we also looked at Jesus talking saying I am the vine and you are the branches and this sense that God is the source of growth and life to which we are all can all be connected and to grow out and bear fruit. And so I think I, I love that. I think to God, God's presence as unfathomable as it is, is a sense of, of groundedness and purpose. You said down on like a personal level. It is hard to define, I think, what exactly what that is, like you said, Dean. But and then I, I also know that I want to provide a sense of welcome and and home to other people here here at Advent. But also that like God already has, you know. Like so, I I think there's this sense of I feel called to do that, but to know that like I think whether people are tuned to it or not like god loves them and is and is god's presence is with them in good and bad moments so that's that's kind of what i hear in this uh passage as well so we always end by asking what will you do differently this week this week well i'm definitely gonna uh, i think that like in response to the the sermon right so you're you're talking about uh, the the people that we meet on the subway, uh, 
in our daily lives, just sort of opening up to them a little bit, letting their stories hit me and, and sort of just understand, try to understand a little better, like what it, what it would take, what it would mean to be completely loving of those people and trying to take, I I don't imagine that I'll be able to just instantly Mm -hmm. do that. It's, it's a hard journey. It's a hard process to, to grow in that way. But maybe this week I'll try to take a little bit uh, of a step towards that, trying to understand my place and what I'm coming home to and Mm. what it would mean to come home to God in that way as the prodigal son. Yeah, I was also thinking about home and like who makes me feel at home um, or feel comfortable in myself. And so then kind of showing appreciation to those people Hmm. about for that. That's great. Yeah. Times that the fatted calf has been (laughs) that you've 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 come home and the fatted calf has slaughtered and, you know, mom's made her. Uh, her lasagna and it's like, <laughs> and you just come home and you're like, I, you can celebrate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to borrow off of what you two just said. <laughs> and, I, and I think I want, I want to make someone feel special this week who maybe doesn't expect or feel like they deserve it. But that sense of like celebrating someone's worth that, that is God given, but like having a, a sibling in Christ acknowledge that. I'm going to try and do that for someone. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at adventnyc.org. You can email us at podcast at adventnyc.org or join our Facebook group, Advent Sermons and Conversations, to join in the discussion. Our services are 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. in English and 12.30 p.m. in Spanish at 93rd and Broadway.